Fintech Black podcast series. We feature influential black and brown leaders and enthusiasts from the Fintech crypto metaverse to pull back the curtain on business, tech, and culture. I'm joined today by some superstars. Anjali Kapoor, Decentralized Marketing, coined the term DMAR, she'll bring that up later, Chief and Founder of Alt-Key Theory, and Jeff Kaufman, Founder of Jump, plus many other things that I'm going to have them both kind of delve into. They're both just queen and king of this space. Anjali, let's kick it to you uh, alphabetically. Sure. Thanks, Atul. Thanks for having me. Um, as Atul said, I'm the founder of Alt Key Theory and an independent uh, decentralized marketing consultant, or DMAR, as I'd like to call it, a role that I pivoted to uh, in March this year after going down the crypto rabbit hole. Previously, I was head of marketing for Dow Jones and Wall Street Journal Asia Pacific, looking after brand strategy and consumer success. Uh, I've also worked at uh, Warner Media, CNN in Hong Kong, Microsoft in London, and the BBC in India in several sales and marketing roles. So that's me. Amazing. Jeff. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be here and in such good company. Uh, the quick background on myself, uh, agency guy, spent the last uh, 15 years in the enterprise agency world working on big Fortune 1000 brands doing Web2 digital and social strategy. Uh, a couple bigger clients that I've that I've done some work on. Uh, ran GameStop Social for quite some time. Uh, Chick-fil-A, Fruit of the Loom, have done work for Dodge, Jeep, Dr. Pepper. So, you know, pretty typical uh, agency life. Love the Web2 world uh, between 2010 and 2020 and then got bit by the Web3 bug. Uh, saw, saw the writing on the wall and said, hey, I want to be the first one into this space. Let's go. So I went full time into Web3, uh, building the Jump community, which is uh, a home for the advertising and marketing people in the world that's built using Web3 fundamentals, which is tokens, NFTs, DAOs, and all of that infrastructure to really experiment at the bleeding edges of Web3 so that we can figure out all the good strategies that are out there in the world and then Go build some cool stuff. I love it. You two are fantastic. I appreciate spending some time with us today. Uh, my background, very quickly, uh, tech guy. Then I was in the music industry for a while. And then I and now I'm in finance. And I'm bringing all those worlds together. And it's amazing. Investing in this space heavily. I usually, uh, jumping into our, let's go delp, del, jump into our episode today. I usually, I'm a numbers tech geek, I'll, admittedly. Uh, everyone calls me that. I usually tee it up with a bunch of numbers and all that, but there's something more fascinating today that I can tee up our conversation with. Anjali Kapoor, our guest, she has written an article, The Future of Loyalty Marketing is Crypto Enabled. And I'm going to heavily paraphrase because I don't use big words like her, uh, but I will heavily paraphrase in the interest of time some of the key points from this and I'll jump in then I'll tee up our conversation and I'll kick it to both of them. So let me just get in. Web 2.0 fueled the creation of tech utilities that made life easier with maps, health monitors, AI-powered e-commerce at our fingertips. But there wasn't an economic layer that allowed people to transact with a universal currency. Crypto is that currency. Large tech companies are adjusting their ad targeting mechanics and policies to comply. Consumers more aware of their personal data sacrifice for the free usage of platforms and not in the mood to become products for advertisers. Again, I'm heavily paraphrasing, paraphrasing, read the entire article. Creators 
Want more skin in the game? Web 3.0 offers tokenization of their personal brand on blockchains without reliance on external agents, companies, or platforms. DMAR, a coin she has termed decentralized marketing, is the network effect that business accrues through independent actions. Customers, creators, and communities take on a blockchain by engaging with the brand in exchange for economic incentives delivered by smart contracts. Everything Jeff and Anjali just talked about Let's go. Who wants to go in first? Anjali, maybe why don't you take it since it was straight from your article? <laughs> sure. Uh, happy to. So, you know, it's as I explained, you know, everybody goes through this rabbit hole process and everyone applies. Whoever comes across it comes comes uh, across it through various ways and mechanics and for different purposes. For me, I applied everything that I learned in terms of what I did in the past and my past experience in marketing, applied it to crypto architecture. But to explain what DMAR is and what decent, it's important to understand decentralization and decentralized marketing. It's, it's important to stay, take a step back and understand the genesis of blockchain and the power uh, of the crypto architecture and then apply those principles to brands and marketing. So if you ask me what's a blockchain, and I'm going to explain this in the context of consumer marketing, right? A blockchain is really a programmable system to organize human governance on a global scale. Blockchains are decentralized, they offer security and scalability. So why is that important? It's because these characteristics of blockchains is what really Web3 is based on. And Web3 offers permissionless innovation, meaning anyone can participate and it's trustless, meaning two strangers can exchange value without a trusted intermediary through tokens. Uh, bringing all of this back to what we're currently seeing today in the prevalence of DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations that, that are operating by way of consensus mechanism to achieve a common goal or purpose and forming communities to enable that. And we're going to dive in and I'm going to let you get into this further, but expanding on that is NFTs for the first time also enable digital property ownership be it art, iconic moments, virtual games, uh, virtual objects for games, music, and so on. What we're really seeing today is that decentralized communities are forming around a belief in a certain meme or an NFT project, and they're coming together to own, build awareness, and grow the value of their investments. And they're doing that, they're as, and they're doing that because they're incentivized and they're empowered. So the value is flowing directly from community to creators and giving rise to this whole creator economy, which is not only self-sustaining, but also capturing the bulk of the economic value within it and not sharing it with a centralized platform. So when you start layering all of these understandings to, to brands and marketing in its traditional sense, which is what I did, you suddenly go like, boom. And you realize that this is a whole new way of thinking about consumer behavior and marketing. So it's everything that a brand marketer ever wants, right? It's, it's loyalty, it's engagement, increased product usage, but it's very different from the web, web two thought process and mindset. So that's what decentralized marketing really is. It's when bringing together all of this, you owe, all of this, you, you know, where, con where consumers are partners, they like to own things they, and not just consume them passively. They belong to this crypto culture. So that's what I really defined as DMAR. And I came up with this whole framework of how to introduce brands and marketers, other marketers like me, to this whole concept of decentralization. 
Really quickly on that, before I kick it to Jeff, conceptually you defined it. In execution, how does that kind of play out very quickly? Uh, and then I want Jeff to chime in here. Is there a, a, an execution play or is it maybe conceptualized with your DMAR? So when you point? talk about execution, a lot of brands are already experimenting today with NFTs, right? Um, you know, Disney's launched its own its own NFTs. There's one media doing stuff. There's Clinique, Coca Cola. All of them so are doing. It. I think Authentic Brands is going to kill it in this space too because they own all the legacy brands as well, right? That's right. That's right. So yeah. everyone, they are exp- brands are experimenting with it, but they're not. What I feel is they're not going full on into Web three. They are trying to apply Web two principles. Uh, and tweak that and make it Web3, right? But that's not what uh, an OG Web3 strategy really is. It's not fully decentralized. And until it's fully decentralized, it's sort of halfway, not out Jeff, there. You've probably, yeah, I agree. And Jeff, you've probably seen a lot of this coming from your world. So, um, so Glossier, if that was a brand, I said this numerous times, if Glossier was the brand for millennials, let's say, you're going to want some crypto native. All the legacy brands are going to want to, entertain and play in the space as they should but i'm sure the crypto natives like this gen what are they now x i'm assuming x right they're going to want to have something or gen z sorry sorry gen x gen z gen z, gen z sorry my bad um, they're going to want uh i'm good at numbers not letters all right i'm kidding uh, <laughs> um they're going to want something that's kind of native to them that's crypto native as well take all that first i mean i see a lot of brands doing a lot of things here and i can see rolling stone has that board ache yacht club the kind of drop they're doing which is fascinating because they've peaked as the, in the media publishing world but maybe now as a play for some of these brands that missed e-commerce to play in web3 jeff teeing you up going for it uh what do you think yeah i mean what we're seeing right now is one of the biggest economic I mean, it's the biggest economic boom we've ever seen in human history, and it's compressed into like 10 years. Um, yeah. and, and people don't understand that. I mean, just to like take a quick step back, we're looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum kicking all of this off. And if they, if those were companies, can you imagine the way Wall Street would praise them, the way mainstream financial media would praise them? I mean, they achieved market caps in five years time that companies haven't been able to achieve that it took other companies 20 years to achieve. Right. And we don't mainstream doesn't even, I mean, it's just like unbelievable how little recognition the space gets because of that. And so what, what is it that, that they unlocked, they unlocked digital ownership. And, and we just touched on, on that a, a bit, but that is the cornerstone of all mm-hmm. of this. And when you start to think about digital ownership being one of the big unlocks, and then you think about all of these strategies like decentralization and NFTs and all of these other things that you can layer onto that, it's, it's quite powerful because digitally, there was only one thing we could own on the internet up until Web3, and that was domain names, mm. <laughs> right? Sure. Fair. We've been we've been living in this digital economy and we've been serfs renting, just renting our lives, not just as individuals, but as brands, too. And so a lot of talk is around the creator economy. And I love it. But brands are enterprise versions of creators. Like, think about that. We've got these individual influencer creators. Let's take Mr. Beast, for example, which is a massive YouTuber. Um, he launched a, uh, a burger chain. Uh, a ghost kitchen burger chain in 300 cities overnight. He started out as a YouTuber. 
he's becoming a brand. I wouldn't be surprised if the Mr. Beast Enterprise becomes a, a billion dollar brand at some time point. So when we're talking about Coca-Cola or Glossier, back to your original question, and how do they enter this space? Um, you know, the, these are just enterprise versions of creators, and they have a lot of the same pain points that the creator economy has. How do they play in the space? How do they make it, you know, full web three versus two point web 2.5? And, and kind of what does that look like? Um, you know, you, you've got to kind of separate what has to be done off chain and what can be done on chain. So right now off chain, think of, you know, supply chain logistics, bringing a product to market. Like actually, if we're talking about Glossier, actually creating makeup, right? That's not really something that we can decentralize right now. We can work towards it. And so really what we're talking about when, when we're trying to get to these decentralized, um, uh, concepts, uh, especially if you're a legacy brand entering, is what you're trying to do is you're, you're you're unlocking something new, and that's the biggest thing that we need to always consider with new technology. Is new technology unlocks value that mm. we couldn't unlock before. So if we're trying to take something that's valuable, and then we're trying to force it into this new technology, we're kind of like. You know, it's the square peg and a round hole and all of that. What we have to think about is, no, 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 no. Let's use these new tools. Let's step into this this new space. And when you're doing it right, when you go, ah, we're, we're on our way, you're unlocking new value that you couldn't tap into to before. And so one of those value unlocks, we like to call social capital. Mm. And so we've been able to... Um, you know, we've been able to bring people together and 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 create big networks of people. But where does that value get unlocked? Well, in the case of big tech and big social, the value got unlocked via big centralized databases that Google and Facebook owned, and then they monetize that data, right? And as we're going into the world of NFTs and social tokens and these and and what these brands can do. It can actually unlock this thing called social capital, which if we're talking about from a marketing and branding standpoint, you can unlock brand equity and brand equity can be something that's owned and liquid. I love that. Can we, can we, look, I'm going to give two examples and I want you both to chime in on this. So let's say in the, let's, let's go, I'm going to jump straight into the metaverse. Nike did has done shoe drops, right? They're, they're planning a lot of things. Now in the metaverse, you can have, it's a set of digital coordinates, right? You can have texture. Let's say you have a shoe drop. You can have texture, which things you can't have in real life right now. Right. And then let's say you go from eighties times square or, you know, 2021 times square in the metaverse and walk over to the eighties times square in the metaverse, whenever it exists, maybe it switches to Reebok or, or, or whatever, or it switches to different colors. Or if you go walk into Disney in the eighties, your Nike turns red and yellow, Mickey Mouse. So he walks in there in 2021, it becomes the colors of red and blue, Spider-Man or our, you know, Thanos if you're evil, whatever your thing is, right? Um, that, that point, that can, eventually that can move into the, we can have removable screens maybe in, in maybe five, 10 years out and, and it could be applied in, you know, the physical world as well, right? The merging of these two. I'm going to kick it to you one step further, right? As marketers and branding experts, uh, play with me here. Okay. I'm, I'm born. We're born as we are. I was a brown kid. I was born. I'm a male. Gender is at birth gender and your socioeconomic status for the first 15, 20 years of your life is pretty much predetermined, right? In a sense, generally, um, I'm six foot one, six foot one. Now I could 
come off as a, a, a in the in the world in the metaverse i could be a five foot five woman with blonde hair living in south america right so i can have these two identities both of them are identities that i want to buy things for purchase things in, in the metaverse and in physical life which one is more valuable right now physical is probably more valuable when will it be equal? When is when is going to the, the digital one going to take over? Play with me here, because both of those brands are created for you. Or for you as marketers and brand and representing brands, that they're both outlets for you to sell to, or can you know have me as a consumer. Which one becomes more appealing? How do you do that? How do we navigate? Do we do we double our market caps of personal brand? Play with yes. me here for a little bit. Yeah. I, I actually love this question because we're talking about the metaverse and it begs the question of what is the metaverse? And the, the best example that I've heard of the metaverse is it's not a thing or a place. It's a moment in time. Yeah. And the moment in time is when our digital lives are more valuable than our physical lives. And not just from a, oh, an emotional standpoint, because a lot of people will put a lot of emotional weight into their digital presence. But what we're talking about is when the stuff that you own digitally goes back to ownership becomes more valuable. And that's the flippening that happens sort of for the metaverse. Um, so I'll just kind of stop there, but I, I like that moment in time sort of reference for the metaverse versus a thing or a place. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I mean, I like that the whole moment on ta- moment of time explanation for the metaverse, you know, there is no real definition. It varies depending on the person you ask the definition of a metaverse in, is. But basically, it's it's like the meeting point where your real life meets your digital life. And yeah, you could have two or three different avatars, right? I mean, from a brand marketing perspective, um, if, if a Nike wants to wants to attract this other digital audience who is a metaverse audience, you know, what they're going to go after is the culture. You know, they're going to go after those little things that make a community and what the community gets excited about. Um, And it's all about the meme. It's all about the vibe. And if they can create that within the metaverse, you know, yeah, they have an audience and that audience may be completely different um, to to my real life identity or to a person's real life identity, which is what happens all the time. I mean, me and Jeff have our own identities on the metaverse. I would have to say I, I don't have a pseudonymous identity. I, I use my real name most of the time. Well, most like all the time. But yeah, I, there's nothing stopping me from being a completely different person. And that's my expression on the metaverse. And I, I would kind of do that if I feel I need to belong to a certain culture. But yeah, I wouldn't change who I am for that. Love it. Love it. And, and then and I'm going to tie in a bunch of things that we have all said. Jeff, you had some. I'm going to steal some of your nuggets of what you dropped earlier uh, in future conversations. They're great. But you said everything's moved. Both of you have alluded to how fast this is moving, right? If I'm looking at the VC world from my angle, we have a five to eight to 10 year window for the entire fund, usually four to seven years within a particular company within that portfolio, right? But we have that incubation period to figure out market fit and see where how we can scale this and then hand it off to someone with a larger check potentially. What you both alluded to and is quite frankly what we're seeing, this is moving in real, this is VC in real time, the crypto space. Things move, things break, we break shit, <laughs> and then we move on and try to build and continue and we evolve and find the right product market fit right away. You brought up, I think, on Julie, it was you or maybe it was Jeff, 
someone who's putting $3 million towards the Constitution, trying to purchase the Constitution and the Capital is so liquid now. Those are the kind of things that are happening. So assets may end up in hands that won't unlock true value from. I'm not going to say the wrong hands, but may not unlock the potential value of things. So that's there are pros and cons to this, uh, and you can build communities that may not be. Not every community is going to be great, <laughs> right? Uh, so the, those are the things that we have to kind of abide by when there's kind of this less regulated land, which all of us in the money world love. But then you know, then there are other consequences as well. We're going to talk about communication and all that too, right? Helium, I know they're building this decentralized 5G. I know, Jeff, you had mentioned some of this before, like in your land, the communication aspect of it. Um, I think VoIP can easily transfer to the blockchain, right? And it's a cost-effective manner of communicating. Let's tie this into the conversation as well. Uh, entertain me for a minute there. Yeah, absolutely. For just from a speed standpoint, we're seeing, and it sounds kind of cliche because it's like, Oh, things are always moving so fast. But I mean, uh, like a lot of people that hey, get into Web3 full time, I thought I kind of understood where things were going and how fast things were going before I made the flip and, and, and started working in the space full time. And then once I got in it, you start covering uncovering all these sort of stones and new pockets of innovation. And it's moving so fast that it's sort of like, I, I, I'm having a hard time keeping up doing it full time. And so you talk about the venture timeline of four to seven years, sort of st starting to figure out your product market fit. I'd say that's cut in half, at least yeah. when you're, when you're talking about um, a DAO or uh, uh, some sort of uh, solution with, within the space. If you just kind of look at OpenSea being four years old and what they've been able to achieve, and they're a centralized service, OpenSea being the world's largest NFT buying and selling platform, if you're not familiar. And they're, they're centralized, right? Yeah. They're, 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 they're kind of like Web 2.5, right? They're not fully decentralized. And so when you look at fully decentralized systems and, and sort of projects, and it's hard to call them startups because it's just a new kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I would just say timelines are cut in half at and least. Coinbase is going to be offering, and they're still 2.5. I, I mean, you know, they're decentralized in a sense. Uh, is there, Anjali, is there, or Jeff, is there a truly, a pure play that's decentralized marketplace for NFTs? No, not yet, right? Not yet. Not yeah. yet. Jeff, I'm not, I don't think there is, right? It's so, been worked on, right? But there so, isn't one live. So there, there, there is, but it's not at the scale that OpenSea is at. So just to do a quick comparison, um, the decentralized version of Coinbase would be something like Uniswap. And it's, it's really hard to wrap your head around because Uniswap acts so different than Coinbase. They don't feel the same in any way, but it's a decentralized exchange versus a centralized ex exchange. The decentralized kind of version of, uh, of, uh, OpenSea would be a platform called Zora. Z Zora? Z-O-R-A. Okay. All right. Um, but they just launched uh, earlier this year. But think of that as uh, an OpenSea. It's decentralized, right? And so it kind of breaks your... It, it, it's, it's hard to make the comparison because it's not a centralized place where NFT sales happen. It's a protocol and it's a network where basically anybody can create an open seat. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> right. And it's just like, whoa. And when you get, basically it's permissionless, just here's some stuff and go. And that's what 
we kind of come back to how fast this space moves. You know, in the traditional sort of startup web two software cloud, all of that, you kind of have these rails and and, you, mm. and there's some friction there that keeps onboarding from happening. As soon as you start to decentralize stuff, the friction is just more in the UX and the understanding. Like my brain has a hard time learning this stuff. But as far as permissionless and who can get involved, it's just an internet connection and a computer. And if you've got those two things and you can get past sort of the the mental sort of adjustment and then the UX component, anybody can participate. And when you create sort of just an open playing field like that, you get innovation and speed that is something that we've never seen. It's incredible. And you have to, sometimes you follow where the developers are going. So, you know, the finance and tech heads initially set up the rails and the currency and the protocols, right? Now what's bringing the, the fascinating aspect is culture is being introduced through NFTs and all of this, right? And you can build communities and then share ideas and that, brought, you know, the NBA top shops. That's when it got really hot. That's the first time I actually heard about this whole space. This was December of last year, 2020. And then, and then, and then you start take off. And then, and then obviously crypto punks, then you delve deeper. Oh, that was 2017, which is kind of like the cavemen art mm-hmm. of this space, right? If you think about it, because maybe that'll be incredibly valuable 200 years from now. Who knows? Uh, you know, maybe so it's worth getting in there, not giving you investment advice. Don't come after me. Uh, but, um, <laughs> I follow, I tend to follow where the developers are going. Initially, I saw obviously a lot of them going to Ethereum. And then I'm looking at, you know, distributed global puts a lot of capital towards various projects here. A lot of that's going towards the Dapper Labs, the Audius and Solana. Solana can scale, I think it's 7x, 8x of what the transactions they can run as, as, uh, as opposed to Ethereum, right? So is it going to be, if we, if we are, this is a very, Web two way of looking at things. If Bitcoin becomes the gold, don't shoot me. Um, Ethereum might settle into the silver, <laughs> right? Right now, I think Ethereum could actually flip because there's a use, there's a protocol and the currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Solana, if it can run at scale, much more efficiently, and you know, I think that could potentially flip Ethereum. Uh, w- Take that for a minute so we can all get shot at, just not me. And then <laughs> and then we're going to jump into where you see the exciting projects coming from this, from the marketing standpoint. Like, who's doing it right? I would love to hear your advantage on that. Well, I, I mean, if we if we start with sort of these, these multiple chains and who's going to win and kind of all that, um, my position on it is we're going to live in a multi-chain world with multiple L1s, you kind of said Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Solana, those would be considered L1s, level ones, and then L2s, chains and protocols that kind of built on, get built on top of them. It just becomes this spider web of interoperability and, and partnerships and, and chains kind of working together. And then what we'll likely see is they'll kind of carve out their, their markets and their niches and from like a GDP an internet nation GDP kind of standpoint. So they're all going to exist. It's not going to be one or the other winner take all. Mm. It's not going to be that what makes this space hard is we see something like web two world, Facebook, just one social Google, just one search. And we have this like framework of just like, Oh, there's this new thing. And once it has a term, you know, someone wins it, but this is more like, internet. No one won the internet. We just had a lot of categories that got defined and then projects won certain categories 
Web3 and blockchain and crypto and all of this, it's more like a categorical internet type thing. And then we're seeing in real time all these categories and markets kind of being defined and figured out. And so it's, it's, it's almost like we're not going through product market fit. We're going through like, like GDP market fit in like this digital kind of, kind of nation. Um, I'll stop there and and maybe uh, we can talk about the, the brand side of that question now. Yeah. No, just to, just to add on to that, I feel um, you're absolutely right, Jeff. There's going to be a lot of, lot of chains is going to be a multi-chain world but i guess from a consumer standpoint we're going to arrive at that point where a consumer doesn't care whether they're interacting with a centralized network or a decentralized network right i mean that's that's where we want to get at ultimately doesn't matter it's it's whether it's we're transacting on a solana or a polygon or l1 l2 i mean all of this is great because we understand it but look at it from an average customer, right? I mean, the subset is so small and it is growing at a phenomenal pace, but it does require time. There's a huge amount of risk and the huge amount of regulatory issues that come with it. So we do want to get to a stage where all of this sort of settles in, like there's this initial storm that settles from a customer perspective and the whole interaction with like, yeah, downloading a MetaMask and, you know, it just becomes so seamless. And until that stage where where the whole customer experience is super seamless, where they don't know what blockchain it is. I mean, today, I don't know. I just use my credit card. I don't know what's going on underneath. But in the Web3 world, we we know. I mean, we, we know because we care what happens to our money, whether it's going to go into a black hole or whether it's actually going to come out the other side. Am I, am I going to get something that I sent to a transaction, right? So that is what that is what I feel is going to happen ultimately. That is the stage which we want to all get at. It's it's sort of a seamless experience, and the same applies to brands as well. Um, so I'm going to stop there again, and Atul, if you want to, who's who's doing it right? Give me one, two brands that are very trendy that are setting themselves to do it right. Who who's doing that? In your opinion, both of you. Well, let, let's kind of define brand. Are we talking about legacy fair, brands fair or are point. we talking about the new latest brand that has taken over Web3 and culture? Yeah, that's a great point. Okay. Uh, it could be a per- let's go because you defined early brand can be a person, an enterprise, uh, as well as a company coming in. Get one of each, a person who's setting themselves up to be doing great things there and, um, company play with me guys i don't know your yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so something that would be interesting uh because this is a good conversation i kind of asked that question just to like unpack that before mm-hmm. we answer it um board eight yacht club have you oh, nice. like, yeah so brand new brand they literally launched in what may june yeah. i, I can't <laughs> so, remember and their treasury is th- this is what we're talking about in terms of the speed, if you know, you, you said you're a numbers guy, uh, look at the speed at which their treasury grew. How many, how many fundraising rounds from seed to series A to series B to series C has kept pace with the treasury growth of something like board Ape yacht club. Incredible. There's nothing, There's yeah. nothing because you can't move at that speed through the old systems and, and kind of processes and and what board ape yacht club has become and uh i've I've got a buddy who's just he's just 
loving the board, the B-A-Y-C. Um, it's yep. a mouthful every time you say it. Yeah. Um, but he, he was getting on a plane the other day and he saw a guy uh, wearing the Board Ape Yacht Club shirt and he's Love wearing it. the Board Ape Yacht Club shirt and they don't know each other. And then they're seeing each other. And it's like the Nikes that are on your on your screen behind and the, the community that comes around like the Jordan brand and Nike yeah. and just all this stuff. And we've seen that happen at a scale that the the growth of a, of a brand, not just from a financial standpoint, but like the positioning and the aura and the word of mouth. And of course it's still niche and most of the world doesn't know about it. Um, but that's a brand that is doing it right. And, and a community that's identifiable quickly. And look what you just said. Hey, we're t- like that Spider-Man thing. Hey, there's two Spider-Mans looking at each other. Boy, you got the board at Yacht club t-shirts on. I love that. Okay. So yeah, yeah. exactly. So, and you're seeing these, you're, you're, you're seeing people in real life. It kind of goes back to the Harley days that Harley unlocked and, and they figured out, Oh man, we need to create a culture and like motorcycle clubs. I mean, Harley did this a hundred years ago, yeah. uh, but we're seeing that happen in a matter of months. And why It's like, why is this happening? And it goes back to what we were talking about early earlier, which is ownership of the IP and of the brand um, uh, digitally. Right. And so people yeah. own these apes and what these bored apes can do over the long term. I look at it as a, you know, a bad example, but it kind of helps put our brain around it is each of these 10,000 apes that operate in the board ape universe. Think of those as like a franchise. Like you just you're one of 10,000 franchise owners within this business. You're a business owner of the brand by holding these apes and down the line. Uh, these little avatars that represent uh, the apes, those are exclusive access to merch, content, mm. literally anything, metaverse type stuff. And so now you have 10,000 franchise owners, business owners that are in partnership with you uh, that have a little bit of a framework and how they can run their own individual enterprise, if you will. And so if in the 80s, it was all about buying a McDonald's franchise in your neighborhood, um, and you'd make, you know, yeah. a few million bucks a year. Um, what we're going to see is we're going to start to be able to put a real financial cash flow model against each of these apes uh, and, and these characters in terms of what assets flow through to them as a holder that then they take out into the market and distribute, whether that's, like I said, content or, or physical goods or digital goods or whatever that is. So they're doing it the, the best. And that's what's going to make it really hard. Interesting. It's going to make it really hard for the legacy brands in the world mm. to do this because of the regulatory, but not sure. just the learning curve, Yeah. right? Not just the learning curve of understanding how to set up your brand and, and, and system this way, but it's so fundamentally different from an operational and a strategy perspective. And then you add the regulatory component on it. I don't want to sound like doom and gloom, but the legacy brands cannot operate in the way that like a board eight yacht club is operating. Sure. Could they have a hybrid model? So I was, I could see if I was to pick one brand that could do it or not one, one of a slew, but Nike is one that is pretty iterative. They evolve with the times they are trendy and they buck trends often. Right. And they go against 
seems very counterculture, but it ends up playing in their favor because they know how to play it just right. That's one brand I think could do, could do something interesting there, right? Um, McDonald's, a brand you brought up earlier, a limited assortment of offerings in the first place. So they'd have to expand that. Nike could just do shoe after shoe after shoe after shoe, and we'd be interested, right? <laughs> um, Anja, I want you to jump in here in a minute, but if I, if I can just kind of piggyback on what Jeff said first. Here we had NFT week in New York last week, uh, just here in our, and you, you, it was, it's a very diverse crowd. You have the web one and two, the OGs in the space playing alongside the web three folks. And you have people from Quavo, Aoki, Quentin Tarantino, right? Everyone is dropping something in this space. It's a culture that in a community that's kind of emerging, everyone's going to find their space. Um, you know, hopefully if they do it well. Anjali, do you have, can you pick one person that might be doing something that has a good shot at this or is, is setting themselves to do well? Yeah, I, I have to say, um, my favorite so far has been Micah Johnson. I think with Aku Dreams and what he's been doing with the whole IP with Aku. Um, and I just, again, stumbled on this project and coming from an entertainment media background, I was fascinated with what he's trying to create around this project. He's, he's, he's creating really a media company, which is Web3 native from scratch. So Aku Dreams, if just to kind of, if people aren't aware, it's, it's basically a, a character whose who's, who's name is Aku and Michael Johnson, who's an ex-MLB player, um, you know, he was an artist, so he is an artist and he's a creator of this, this character, Aku. And, and he decided to kind of have 10 chapters or 10 different NFTs, which would be, which would be made available on Nifty Gateway. Uh, which people could mint as many copies or as many chapters in that particular time. I think I'm not sure whether it was exactly an hour long or how many ever NFTs could be minted in an hour. The people would get it at, at a fixed price. And, um, and, and it's a movie and it explains what really happens in Aku's life and new characters get explained, get introduced. Um, and people have the ability to buy these and then become collectors of the whole series. Um, so I think right now he's, he has about six or seven chapters already out there. And, um, and they're going to be 10, um, which would be like a moon god status. So I've been following that project just because I'm fascinated with the way how, how a Web3 native uh, media company can actually come forward. And then he would... Probably he's in conversations with um, with with Hollywood, with producers to kind of make available that IP for different kinds of stuff in the future. So when a person, when when a collector is actually buying an NFT, they're not just buying that particular chapter, but they're also buying the rights to what will happen in the future. And that goes back to what Jeff was talking about for boarded board ape yacht club as well. When, when collectors or you want to kind of have brands who, who doing want, want to do great stuff, it's all about the incentives. It's all about the utility or the future mm-hmm. utility of NFTs, uh, which kind of bring the loyalty aspect into, into the whole uh, game as well. So, so, yeah, I would say my, 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 um, a person who's doing it really well is Michael Johnson. So two, two shout outs, two shout outs. I'm glad you mentioned that because two shout outs. He's actually speaking during FinTech Black Week this week. Uh, so he'll be there. Imari, who put this whole thing together, Mari Oliver, our, 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 
our, our king that we uh, celebrate here. He put this entire conference together. He's texting me right now. I said, hey, I'm on with Anjali and uh, Jeff, so give me a minute. <laughs> but I want Amari to get a shout out here too. Uh, but Amari's put this fantastic thing together. You, you mentioned, Micah, another one who played, uh, Martilius Bennett. Uh, Jeff played for your Cowboys, I believe, played for my Bears for a bit, finished his career with the Patriots, I believe, tight end, uh, his brothers in the league as well was. Um, he's an active artist, and I think now that you mentioned that, he could be someone that could probably play here. Take this. You mentioned Board Ape Yop Club, right? For some reason, Pete Davidson punches above his weight and gets to date a lot of attractive women that I think maybe – not a direct match. I'm not going to put the guy down, but I think his face and his mood and what he brings is in his comedic because he's hilarious. I think he could be something you could drop 5,000, his take his face and put different accessories around him. That could be someone. You heard it here first. <laughs> I think that could be someone you could build a brand around because he's hilarious and he would sell it just by being himself, right? Uh, so, and, and he's obviously, if Kim feels the need, because Kim does everything strategically, if she feels the need to date Pete Davidson. Oh, yeah. She's seeing that he's pretty hot. He's pretty hot, uh, hotly sought after commodity in the Gen X <laughs> or Gen Z. I keep doing that. Gen in the Gen Z world. <laughs> Gen so she's, yeah, sorry. Um, so that might be a play. Okay. Um, now that I, you know, Doug shot myself in the mouth there, but where else can we go here? <laughs> I, I, have you heard of Yup? Y-U-P? Uh, they, they're a crypto-based social network platform that rewards and recognizes tastemakers for curating content, everything we've been talking about, across Web 2 and Web 3. So Twitter, YouTube, OpenSea, Mirror. Have any experience with them or anything that kind of in that nature of – they're another group that might be doing it right so people can look into them. Um, Jeff, you want to talk a little bit about communication and what's being done there in that space. Why don't we kind of get into that space for a bit and we can end after that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just to touch on, yeah, uh, they're solving a problem that Web3 has right now. We'll see how long this problem exists, but the problem is curation, especially as content is moving on chain. And that kind of ties into the question or the path of communication, right? Web3 has all been about tech and finance and kind of money. And we're, we're not even there yet, but we're starting to to, to get to that communication side of Web3. Um, so Yup is uh, is trying to solve for, for that. And by what I mean by solve for communication is through the act of curation. And curation is very different than aggregation. And so Facebook, I would say, did uh, sit more in that aggregation and Google is like aggregation. And there's some sort of curation component to it um, because it's somewhat personalized um, or, or it is personalized, uh, but it, it's, you know, Google and Facebook are more saying, I'm going to tailor something to you. And I think the thing that we've all, we've all felt with Google and, and Facebook and Web2 communication is the echo chamber and not being able to allow a tastemaker of someone else influence us. And that's a really important sort of distinction for how we discover and com- discover content and communicate with each other, which is not solely relying on machines that are just optimizing towards this like echo chamber feedback loop for ourselves, but allowing something like a yup and, and sort of a crowdsourced human curation component to actually influence us from a content perspective. And when we talk about on-chain communication, 
I mean, we are so early in the world of branding and advertising and marketing and communication and the whole tech stack and all the investments that can be made because we don't communicate on chain yet. There's a little bit of that with mirror. So mirror, think of mirror as like this mashup between Kickstarter and WordPress, just like together, but web three. Uh, with tokens and NFTs and all of that. So there's a little bit of that, but there's not like messaging. And so when we talk about messaging uh, in Web3, we're going to see that next year. So if we sort of look at the future and we just say, hey, 2022, what are we going to unlock that we've never seen in our lives? We're going to unlock Web3 messaging. So there's a company called XMTP company loosely, more protocol, right? And they're going to decentralize and kind of do all, all of that. But think of XMTP as uh, sort of um, the base layer for messaging apps to be built on top. So if we had sort of our email client and then that gave us Gmail and that gave us Outlook and sort of these email interfaces, XMTP is going to give us chat interfaces. So on-chain communication. So what does that mean? Right now we have wallets like MetaMask and Coinbase, and we log into these dApps with our wallet and we do all this stuff, but all communication happens on Twitter and Discord and just web two sort of rails. Um, we're gonna start to see in wallet, on chain communication, and it's powered by the tokens that you hold. So imagine all of the Board at Yacht Club owners being able to just log in to some new UI and then they're all instantly connected to each other and they can chat. Or if you want to broadcast a message to all the other 10,000 Board Ape Yacht Club uh, owners into their wallet, you can send them a message directly into their wallet. So when we talk about brands moving forward, this token strategy um, it's, it's, yes, it's about selling assets and creating valuable assets, but these tokens are also a permission gateway between A and B. And so we can think about Glossier, you know, giving out NFTs and social tokens and all of, all, all of this web three stuff to their customer base. And then as the on-chain communication comes into place, now there's this permission system set up between the customer and the brand. And uh, you don't have to have an intermediary to talk to your customers anymore, right? Mm. That's kind of yeah. like breaking down those walls. Facebook can't uh, kill your organic reach. Apple can't throttle you in some way. Twitter can't throttle you in some way. The whole intention here is to create that permissioned communication um, so that, you know, it, it's it, the, the customer owns their side yeah. of communication and then maybe the brand owns their side and, and now they're free to interact with each other however they want there's the beauty of this so there's there's pros tremendous pros there's pros and cons to everything right uh with yeah. uh, as i continue to do i will steal another quote uh with great power becomes great responsibility right so if there is no one to hey you can form crazy groups on there on any of these chains and you know and there won't be a way to stop it uh, mm -hmm. potentially. Right. So just keep these in mind, but then, the, but that's hopefully just 2% of it. And 98% is this whole beautiful world we're heading to yep. where we can all drive Bentleys and, and be rich. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, so let's get into this. Let's, let's get in here. I, I ask everyone that we chat with to, uh, on here, 
this is called a shit you should know section. Basically, anything you're reading doesn't have to pertain to the space. Give us something else. If you're reading about Barbies, Jeff, go ahead. Talk about it. I'm kidding. <laughs> if, whatever it is, right? Whatever we're ta- you're reading, a movie, a Netflix special, whatever you're watching. Anjali, I didn't ask you, do you have a favorite? I, I already dropped Jeff's favorite team, my favorite team. Do you have a favorite team? Favorite team. Sports team. Mm, mm, no. No, Jeff's is the, the Cowboys, moment. mine's the Bears. Uh, he's had more success than I. I, I cry a lot on Sundays uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> after our games. Okay, Anjali, why don't you tee us off, if you don't mind, if something that you think you'd like to share with the audience. Kind of gives uh, a little glimpse uh, into who you are. So, book I'm reading, I haven't read a book in a while, but, um, well, my the last book I read was Igikai. It's, it's this Japanese philosophy of, you know, finding your true self and finding who you are um, in terms of uh, a Netflix drama. I'm watching the bold type. It's, it's a complete chick flick. I'm watching it because I'm in quarantine. Don't, don't judge me on that. It's not my favorite, but I loved the money heist. I just finished that mm. um, in terms of uh, what I like to, what, what was, what was the next one? You only had to pick one, but hey, you're oh, okay. giving us the whole Rolodex. I like it. <laughs> Jeff, you can jump in. No, you, you hit them all. That's great. Okay. Money Heist and uh, – okay, I love it in the book. Jeff, you said uh, – what was the name Iggy of the book? Iggy Iggy Kai. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. And Jeff, uh, tee us off. So I'm going to be a lot more boring uh, than, <laughs> than, than that. <laughs> um, two, two books that I'm finding really relevant to this uh, sort of Web3 space and, and how do we build new companies and projects and whatever it is is uh, you know, we've, we've heard of the book Holacracy, right? And that management style and then reinventing organizations. I think those are two concepts and, and books that they, you know, for a lot of people, they're, they're aware of them. Uh, but this DAO structure and this Web3 infrastructure actually give those two organizational strategies and management strategies a way to exist that they didn't have before. So we've had these theories around how we wanted to design organizations, but we didn't have the tools to actually bring it to life in, in a way that, that, that was really that scaled where that, that got like strong adoption. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to sort of rekindle uh, their uh, readings of those books as they look at this new space. Uh, the other thing that I like to talk about is what, what are you not reading when you go into mm-hmm. web three and you spend a lot of time in Web3 and you get devoured by Web3, what are you not reading? You're not reading email. Fair point. That's great. The world <laughs> the world in Web3 does not exist in email. It just, it doesn't work. And that's a pretty big uh, shift in terms of, especially, you know, for a lot of us that have been <laughs> working in the corporate world for a long time. Yeah. yeah. There's no email in web three. Communication will be vastly different. I love it. Okay. Uh, excellent. I love it. Those are great. I appreciate you both uh, for coming on. Um, this is why I'm already put you on with us. Uh, you're both experts in your space. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Anjali and Jeff. So this was an episode from FinTech Black Next, a podcast at the intersection of finance, technology, and